Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. Now, a chilly Monday edition, but actually not too chilly. Today was nice. Good to walk around the neighborhood if you want to. And then nature just allowed all of the different sidewalks that were unplowed to be plowed. It's amazing how that can work, right? Because even by tomorrow, what, high around 60? Oh, I love it. Definitely not going to be wearing a jacket tomorrow. <laughs> Welcome to the show. We have a lot planned for you tonight, and I wanted to start with something not too serious. Well, actually, I know you were probably losing sleep over this. In fact, if you were up at night thinking to yourself, man, I don't know what's going to happen to that Nelly house. Oh, that house over in Wildwood, you know, the investment house that Nelly purchased about 20 years ago for about $2 million and was going to try to flip it and make some money in the one that he just recently put up for sale. I don't know if it was him directly, but it doesn't matter. It was up for about $600,000. Well, now you can sleep tonight knowing that the Nelly house has found a buyer now just a couple of days after its listing, about a week or so. Price point was $600,000. I don't know how much it actually went for. 12-acre estate, first listed on February 11th, had to an offer on the 18th Missouri property record show. Uh, one thing I didn't realize about this house well, knew that uh, at first it was estimated to be about a $2 million house. And then finally, after years of neglect and not doing anything on it, it gets down to the point where it's worth nothing. This is what I don't understand. If you're someone that works in housing or construction, it says this house had no plumbing. And I thought, how is that possible? So did they remove the plumbing? And then why would you remove the plumbing on a mansion? Is it that it was in such bad shape that they tried to renovate it? But either then, would you pull all the plumbing out of a house that was built in the late 90s? And why would you pull all the plumbing out of a house in the late 90s? So you bought a $600,000 house, whoever this person is. I'm sure it's based on the property. The lot itself is just a beautiful view. Oh, it just looks gorgeous. I would almost consider living in a tiny home on a lot like that. And that's, you know, I hate tiny homes. But I would almost consider doing it just for that property by itself. But... The house itself, if someone could explain that to me, please do so. Uh, 314-436-7900. Because then again, I mean, even if you were to just leave the old plumbing in there, 
wouldn't you just repair what's in there? Why would you rip the plumbing out of it? That doesn't make sense to me. At least uh, the New York Post is reporting that. Uh, situated about 30 miles from St. Louis, close to Hidden Valley Ski Resort, near Eureka, six-bedroom, seven-bathroom house in Wildwood, robbed in 2009. That's about all that we know about that vacant structure is the way it is. Um, yeah, no plumbing. A, a $600,000 house with no plumbing. Oh, one other thing. I thought this was just great. NASA today released some more footage of the rover that landed on Mars, the Perseverance rover. And it's number two trending on YouTube right now. It has well over a million views where it shows the actual rover as it's descending onto the surface of Mars in what looks like high definition. Now, it's technically not HD, but still the video quality is close to it. I mean, if you were to look at that and you'd say, wow, that is it, it does not look like a video that was taken in the 90s or 2000s. It looks like a video that was taken now. And what it shows is that as it's descending, it shows the parachute opening up. It also shows itself separating from this hover chopper rover type of deal that helped it land and was maneuvering this rover. It showed the wheels as it was bending back into place, almost like when you see the the wheels descend when you're about to land at the airport. And you kind of hear the landing gear going. It shows the wheels getting into place. It shows the rover getting slightly you know, just onto the ground of the surface of Mars. And then you see the hover board, the hover craft or whatever fly off and just leave after that. But the, the video and the video angles are amazing. And you know what else came today? This is pretty awesome. The sounds from Mars. I want to play this for you. If you want to know what it sounds like on the surface of Mars, we actually have that now. Now, keep in mind over the weekend, there were erroneous reports of this as in some people decided to you know scam the internet and hey we're gonna we're gonna post a audio of what it sounds like on the surface of mars okay okay this that was fake this weekend but nasa today officially released the audio of what it sounds like from mars so we can trust this i think you're gonna love it okay here's what it sounds like i invite you now to if you would like to close your eyes and just imagine yourself sitting on the surface of mars and listening to to the surroundings uh, if I could have the first one, please. It almost sounds like a computer in a server room. Now, the reason you hear that sound is that that's the actual noise the rover makes. So it's picking up the sound of the rover that always makes that running noise like a computer with a bad fan on it. But then they decided to remove that so you can actually hear what it sounds like. So here's what it sounds like without that. Just a little bit of wind. So the moments they were recording was actually, you can hear the wind on Mars. Isn't that awesome? Brings you chills, doesn't it? Uh, let's go to Teresa, who's calling in. Welcome to Overnight America. Hi, good evening. Hi. So my comment is about the removing the plumbing from the home. I right. know that a couple of years ago, there was an article in the newspaper about Governor Pritzker um, being investigated because of removing the plumbing from some of his property. Yeah, his toilets. Reduce, yes, reduce the property value so the taxes would go down. It was because you could put them back in later, but if it was unlivable because of no plumbing, the real estate taxes were almost nothing. 
Really? So it might have been just a scam to try to get the taxes lowered in the You know, isn't that something? Wow. I guess he took such a hit on the property. You would think that once you lose that much money, that's a tax break by itself. But I guess not. So he pulled a Pritzker, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) All All right. right. Thanks, Teresa. Yes. (laughs) Have a good night. Well, that actually makes sense. Remove the plumbing to save on the taxes. If you were planning to flip the house, why wouldn't you list it? Why would you wait, uh, I don't know, almost 20 years to list it? Why wouldn't you list it right away? Like, why would you sit on this thing? Did you think that with no home maintenance, it was going to appreciate? No, I don't know. So that didn't really work out, huh? (laughs) He pulled a Pritzker. (laughs) Removing the toilet, huh? Coming up after the break, Rich Rubino, our friend, host, or I should say, uh, author of American Politics on the Rocks. We talk a little political history, things that are going on in the world today. Also on the show later today, a little after nine o'clock, what we're going to do is talk to Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher & Young. He's a partner of that firm on today's Supreme Court decisions that came out, not only with uh, the Pennsylvania case, but the tax records in New York. And later in the show, too, from our sister station, 97.1, Ryan Wiggins. He wrote a book, took him 12 years to write a a uh, non uh, excuse me a fiction book called the life of human it's really cool i enlisted my wife to read it on my behalf to review the book and i brought her on the interview with ryan wiggins we're going to do that tonight at about 9 30 good interview i think you'll enjoy that all coming up later on the show it's overnight america kmox listening to kmox has never been easier siri play kmox Rich Rubino. Always uh, enjoy our time with good old Rich Rubino. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, plitta-geek.com. Rich, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing just fine. NASA seems to be on top of their game tonight. They keep releasing things today. I don't know if you like space news or not. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so they posted a video about the Perseverance lander hitting Mars. It was such a cool video. They put some new pictures of Jupiter out tonight, so I'm feeling pretty good. Politics-wise, uh, there's a lot going on still, and I know today is George Washington's birthday officially. It'll be February 22nd. Uh, do you have any good stories about George Washington? Yeah, well, first of all, I know it's his birthday because right down the street, there's a um, there's a bill, there's a, uh, the town hall. It's called Abbott Hall, and they play it up pretty much every hour for about maybe 15 minutes. They keep playing the uh, the bell going on and off, so I've been hearing it all day. <laughs> What's the it's significance in- of the, is there a Washington Bell story or something, or is it just the way that they commemorate it? I think it's the way that they basically commemorate it is on his birthday. A lot of towns on, say, July 4th and George Washington's birthday, not President's Day, but his actual birthday, and today's his actual birthday, so they'll, um, you know, lots, lots, of, lots of municipalities will put the bells on, and lots of times people will say, you know, what's going on? They won't, they won't necessarily make the connection about what exactly it's about. But I see. What's interesting well, about George, George Washington is the whole idea of political parties basically started with him, but not by him. He was very much against the idea of there being political parties. If you go back to, you know, the Federalist Papers, you can go back to Federalist Ten, for example. James Madison really warned against the idea of factions, meaning essentially which would become political parties. But they kind of came; they kind of were effectuated or created, if you will, whether he, you know, with um, with that, without with him, without his kind of permission or him um, kind of saying, you know, I want to have political parties. But essentially, what happened under his administration is Thomas Jefferson, the Secretary of State kind of formed his own party, the Democratic-Republican Party. And then on the other side, you had the Federalist Party, 
which was Alexander Hamilton's party, his secretary of treasury, the and the 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 the, the, the the Democratic Republican Party was more or less kind of what you'd say almost the Libertarian Party today. They wanted a very small government in terms of defense expenditures, in terms of um, having a agrarian republic. On the other side, you had folks like Alexander Hamilton who wanted more expansive governmental powers. And essentially, for example, he wanted there to be a national bank. So that's kind of where they formed. But if you read George Washington, you know, even this farewell address, he warns of the baleful, baleful effects of the spirit of party, but they kind of came um, – you know, without his uh, permission, but most people believe that he was probably more sympathetic to Hamilton than he was to Jefferson's vision. Wow. You know, recently, did you see the new story about how there was a auction that had George and Martha's hair, lock of hair? Oh, yes, in, I did see that, the locks of hair, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, let's see, if I can find how much this thing went for, but there's an auction house, and it's kind of fascinating to think some of the things they get their hands on. I don't know how they authenticate it, but to like I was just looking at the price that some of these go for. It's too bad that these uh, items were not up for auction after the new stimulus checks come out because I'd be tempted <laughs> to bid on some of these. But either way, if you wanted to purchase a George Washington signed letter, uh, you could do it for, let's see, the sold price came for about $5,400. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know how much the hair went for. Um, the other thing is, the the author, how do you authenticate the signature? Who knows? There's <laughs> very good people out there. If they could authenticate Michael Jordan's signature down to a T. Um, yeah, you're right. George is not there to figure it out. But then again, I guess you can find <laughs> historical documents that are inside the archives that would be able to do that. But. I don't know. Some of these different items are cool. I was actually looking at some of them when they were up. And if you wanted to get some of the lesser known president signatures, it's, you can do it for a couple hundred bucks. And I thought that'd be kind of a cool collection to kick off. Maybe oh, if you absolutely. really wanted Washington's hair, though, maybe you can clone them. <laughs> absolutely. I remember there was this, I remember I always regretted about 15 years ago, there was a store going out of business. And I remember walking in there. And they had, I mean, they were really, really expensive, but there were all sorts of pictures about just about every president, particularly folks like Benjamin Harrison and Grover Cleveland, and they were all signed. How you authenticated, I don't know, but there were a lot of signed photos, and they always wanted, you know, think of, thinking going back and, um, you know, potentially getting those, um, of what it would be like to actually kind of have those. But I will say just a kind of word, word of, I guess this would be kind of a... Um, Kind of a kind of advice for advice for people is that if you ever do get an autograph from a politician or a president or any or vice president, make sure it's in the sweet spot of a Rawlings baseball. Um, <laughs> for some reason, sports card sports collectors, sports card collectors, sports memorabilia collectors, they don't only necessarily distinguish between a you know getting a signature of Willie Mays. They also like signatures of politicians. And if you, I mean, even if you Google it, you can see, you know, Richard Nixon autographed baseballs will go for, you know, five hundred dollars. So you see that sometimes when there's some sort of when there's a celebrity coming, um, you'll see lots of times a lot of people will bring baseballs, even though those aren't baseball players, because base people that are in the sports card industry um, also like um, politicians and celebrities signing as well. Oh, I like that because I saw one on the same auction site. It was a Ronald Reagan signed baseball. And it made me wonder, why would they have that up for auction? But you're right. The sports, it, you know, there's always a crossover with those sort of things. So happy birthday to uh, good old George Washington. Um, I wanted to, um, 
yes. talk to you about some conventions and things that are going on. CPAC is uh, going on. It's something that the is like a conservative uh, conference. President Trump will be speaking there. Vice President Pence will not be speaking there. Uh, they normally have a lot of the a lot of uh, popular names that are conservatives, and it made me wonder a lot about what's going on today because we seem to be always trying to define what conservatism is anymore, and it seems like that definition changes almost by the year. Oh, it's it's fascinating in terms of, I guess, where the Republican Party is in terms of conservatism, I was talking about the political parties. If you go back to actually the founding of the Democratic Party, what the founding of the Democratic Party was very similar to kind of the way we perceived conservatism under the 1980s and the 1990s. They, it was very much for, for example, it was for free trade. It was actually for less government. Uh, very similar. And then the Republican Party was actually founded on more funding for the railroads. It was founded on, you know, well, there was actually a split between those who wanted to abolish slavery and those who wanted those who those who wanted to simply abolish it in the territories like Lincoln, who was more or less um, kind of somewhat of the moderate and their folks like Thaddeus Stevens were more the conservatives. But in terms of how you actually define conservatism, I think you have to go back. There was this fight between. So in 1908, Theodore Roosevelt endorsed William Howard Taft as a successor over his own vice president, um, Charles Fairbanks, thinking that William Howard Taft would be more progressive. And Taft was progressive in some respects, but Theodore Roosevelt did not think he was progressive enough. So in 1912, he challenged him first in the the Republican primaries, won the primaries, most of them, but then lost to the convention because Taft had it sewed up. So he said, I'm stripped to the buff, and I'm essentially going to throw my hat in the ring, and then he runs as a progressive. So that's kind of where I think the modern split began, but then you go to the 20s in terms of Harding and Coolidge specifically, probably the closest to where Donald Trump was in terms of wanting less intervention overseas, wanting, um, wanting, wanting, to curtail, wanting to curtail both legal and illegal immigration, and in terms of free trade being somewhat protectionist. So that's kind of where it was in the 1920s. Then there's this battle between the progressives and the conservatives. Um, throughout the 1920s, for example, you had folks like William Borah, senator from Idaho, very progressive. And actually in 1924, the Progressive Party nominated Robert LaFollette, the governor of Wisconsin, governor and then senator of Wisconsin, who was kind of an opponent of Coolidge's conservatism. Now, fast forward to the 1950s, you had a hit, the, the split again at the Republican convention that year. You had Robert Taft, who was basically a Harding um, Coolidge Republican, running in the primaries and losing to Dwight Eisenhower was more of an establishment, more liberal Republican. Then Taft becomes a good soldier during the Eisenhower's administration. Then he dies later on in 1953. Then you go back to up to 1964 when you had the establishment wing. Basically, the establishment wing tends to be more wealthy and more liberal. And Nelson Rockefeller that year, the governor of New York, was kind of the early front runner. He ended up getting in some his own personal foibles. One of them being there was he had gotten a divorce and he got gotten remarried. But Barry Goldwater that year actually won the nomination. And when Barry Goldwater won the nomination, he was really the first real conservative probably to be nominated probably since Coolidge in 1924. And at the convention, he did not try to temporize his rhetoric. He said extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. Moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. So he became a tribune to the conservative wing. As a result, a lot of the Rockefeller people did not support him in the general election. So Goldwell ends up winning only six states, and then you go all the way up to you know 1976. You had Ronald Reagan versus Gerald Ford. That was kind of the split. Um, so there's always been the split in the 1980s. George H. W. Bush and John Connolly, the more moderate wing, versus Ronald Reagan, who represented the more conservative wing. That's kind of where it's always gone. And I think what Donald Trump did, 
after George W. Bush kind of after George W. Bush's more progressive stand on issues like immigration, um, Donald Trump kind of brought it brought it back to where it was. I think in many respects to the status quo ante under Coolidge and Hoover. But there's always a battle between what conservatism is. I think a lot of conservativists conservatives view themselves kind of on the outside of the Republican Party. Many of them view themselves as conservative first and Republican second, where some of the more moderate members say, essentially, we have to win an outright majority. That means we have to kind of temporize our, our rhetoric a little bit. So that's kind of where the bloodline split comes from. Yeah, you look at where the Republican Party started in going back to Abe Lincoln, and you go back even further. So if George Washington was in politics today, what party do you think he'd be closest aligned to? I think he'd probably, it's hard to say because, I mean, the changes of politics, there have been so many changes in terms of ideology between the two parties, but I think he'd probably be closer to the Democrats simply because he was somebody who tended to favor um, federal power, you know, for example, trying to trying to put down the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, he was somebody who I think more sympathized more with Alexander Hamilton's view of there being a more expansive government, at least the federal role, whereas I think Thomas Jefferson would probably be more of a Republican or even a Libertarian because he really wanted there to be a devolution of power. He wanted it to come down to the states. But you also have other issues, though. For example, you know, George W. Bush and Ronald Reagan were very much into increasing defense spending, as was Donald Trump, whereas, whereas, you know, um, Donald, whereas uh, Thomas Jefferson's vision was for a truncated uh, national defense as well. So that's where it gets a little bit iffy. But I think Jefferson would probably would be more Republican. Washington would probably be more of a Democrat. You got anything against wooden teeth? <laughs> um, I'm glad I don't have wooden teeth. <laughs> George Washington, happy birthday to him. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk sure. to you about some of the current senators. Now, there's been a lot of real close votes. Uh, we know we have some confirmation hearings going on, but talking about the stimulus packages, for example, we could see a lot of, uh, you know, right down the middle, 50-50. So there are some very important senators right now that hold a lot of influence. So maybe we'll talk about that after the break. Uh, Rich Rabino, American Politics on the Rocks, is his book, politageekcom and you can find him online. Just do a quick search for it. Rich Rubino, P-O-L, on there. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Here we are in Overnight America. Thanks for spending the time with us. You could be doing anything tonight. I mean, you could have your windows open and just enjoy the nice, you know, when 50 degrees in St. Louis feels like it's about 80. Take advantage of things like this. So we're going to continue with our conversation with Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. You can find his book online and also politi-geek.com. And Rich, if people wanted to find you online, where can they find you? Just go to uh, Twitter and type in Rich Rubino Paul, or you can go to politigeek.com, or you can go to Facebook and just type in Rich, and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Great. So I wanted to talk about some of the senators that have a lot of influence as of right now, because I was listening to a speech from Chuck Schumer talking about how they're passing this uh, stimulus bill, another $1.9 trillion, and he made it very clear. He said, oh, we'll pass this even with no... Republican support, which made me think, okay, you're going right down the middle. It's 50-50 in the Senate with the tiebreaker going with the vice president, who's a Democrat, which means that they could technically do that. However, there are some wild cards in the Senate that could go either way, and they hold a lot of power right now. Well, you know, it's fascinating. It's, it's really, if you think about who's probably the most powerful person in this nation right now, in many respects, it's Joe Manchin of West Virginia. I mean, on every single vote, just about, he is unpredictable. Um, it's fascinating. I mean, he was, you know, the one of the, he was the only, he was one of the, the only Republican, for example, who voted for, you know, um, who he voted, he voted for, um, Kavanaugh, for example, to go to the Supreme Court. And that landed up helping him certainly when he was running for reelection in 2018. But he's someone who's very socially conservative on issues like abortion, on issues like gun control and economics. He's more or less, he's a little bit more populist, but generally it comes down to, in terms of lobbyists, He's kind of the one person that I think every lobbyist tries to go after before anybody else because he's that 50th vote. He's far and away the most conservative Democrat. He's the one Democrat when he comes out, for example, and says that he does not want to liquidate the filibuster. It actually matters simply because of his positioning right now. And it's something that potentially he could really use this as bar- bargain for West Virginia. And if he wants to do that in many respects, you know, get an appropriation for something like this in order for and in, in tr- trade that for um, for something for for the state, trade that for a vote, something to that effect. But he was someone certainly Donald Trump consistently courted him, uh, according to Joe Manchin. Donald Trump would call him out of the blue, and he would essentially say, you know, I know you're a centrist senator. I want you to be able to work with me. 
And there was these rare instances, for example, when Donald Trump would deliver a State of the Union address, when virtually every Democrat would be sitting down, and then Joe Manchin kept standing up, and he'd applaud, and he'd applaud, and he'd applaud. And there's one thing, there's one, um, there's one video, there's video footage of AOC kind of sitting behind him, kind of giving him what appeared to be kind of a dirty look because he was standing up. Um, Kirsten Sinema uh, from Arizona, by the way, also stood up a couple times and got kind of the um, evil eye from some of the more progressive members. But you know, he's probably he's very influential. I think the biggest fear, by the way, that Democrats have is the Republicans will do something to court him so that he actually becomes a Republican. I don't think that's realistically going to happen, but there is precedent. The other side, back in 2001, 2000, back in 2001, remember Jim Jeffords, very liberal Republican from Vermont, um, actually after, the, after courting from Tom Daschle, the minority leader, Harry Reid, the, minor, Harry Reid, um, the minority whip, um, they, they courted him, and they, they were trying to court him. They were trying to court Lincoln Chafee from Rhode Island. Finally, they got him. He was disaffected with where the Republican Party was going. He says, you know what? I'm not going to become a Democrat, but I'm going to caucus with the Democrats, meaning essentially that the entire shift, that the entire balance of power in the United States Senate shifted from Republicans to Democrats. They gave him a chairmanship of a committee in return. But um, that's the biggest fear, I think, is that the, is that the Democrats will be, is that there will be alienation in some, in some respects. And Joe Manchin just says, you know what, screw it, I'm going to become Republican. Maybe potentially the Republicans could give him a very important chairmanship. But I don't think it's necessarily going to happen. I think he's probably in the best possible position for his state and certainly for his own political future, just simply to kind of stay in the middle right there. And on every single vote, every important vote, you have every lobbyist, every member of the media, every member of the United States Senate going to Joe Manchin because in many respects, you know, it's, this is Joe Manchin's Washington. You ought to be great, kind of like in sports when there's a player that's ready to declare they're going to sign with another team, and they, like, sit down, there's a press conference, <laughs> Joe Manchin walks in, and he puts on, like, a Republican hat and announces <laughs> that he's changed teams. Well, is, is 2001 the last example of that happening? Because it's got to be pretty rare uh, in the history of the Senate where you see a lot of active sitting senators deciding to switch parties. It happened, yeah, it happens once, and that was the last, I think, that was the last major one to do it. There have been House members who have done it. The, the odd one was, for example, Michael Forbes from New York, because he actually shifted from the Republicans to the Democrats, but he shifted at the time when he was in the majority party, so he shifted to a minority party, which means you have less influence. That was a very odd one. In terms of actual people who have switched from the Democrats to the Republicans, in 1994, the day after... Bill Clinton suffered a 52-seat seat, um, defeat in the U.S. House of Representatives. Richard Shelby from Alabama, who was voting with Republicans in most things anyways, announced he's going to become a Democrat. He was a Democrat. He announced he's going to become a Republican, and he, it actually worked out for him. because He's still in the United States Senate today. He's 86 years old, and he just announced he's not running for re-election. And then a year later, Ben Nedhorst Campbell, another conservative Democrat from Colorado, switched and he became a Republican. But what's interesting with him is right before he switched, there was a very, this is actually, this is a few months after Shelby, there was a very important vote, and that vote was who was going to be the minority leader of the United States Senate. Came down to Tom Daschle from South Dakota and Chris Dodd from the state of Connecticut. And Ben Oudhurst Campbell, right before he switched, was the deciding vote for Tom Daschle. Then he becomes an actual, um, then he becomes a Republican essentially the next week. So that was something that was very, um, that was very interesting. There have been there have been switches, and certainly in history, Strom Thurmond was one, for example. He was a Democrat. He ran as the states' rights or the the states' rights of the American Party's nominee in 1948. He actually switched from Democrat. He became a Republican. 
Um, so there currently have been some examples. There have been examples in the House of Representatives. Phil Graham, the one who ran for president in 96, was originally a Democrat, and he actually, he actually switched to the Republican Party. But when he switched, he actually resigned his seat. So he resigned his seat back in 1983, and then they had a special election, and he won that special election as a Republican. So that was very, um, that was very interesting phenomenon. But generally speaking, it's rare and it's very hard, I think, you know, when you actually run in, some, in the party's primary and you go to the benefactors in that party and say, I want to be the nominee, and if I'm going to be the nominee, I'm going to win for the party, then as soon as you get there, you change and you, come and you join another party. I'll say one more example would be Jim Johnson, actually the, uh, the governor of the state of West Virginia, ran as a Democrat, and then the next year he actually became a Republican. So there is some precedent in West Virginia for that. Wow. Okay. I wonder, too, when it comes to the power shift in the Senate, in a lot of years you find that there are pretty you know, narrow margins, even though there's one party that might hold the uh, majority and something like that. Is there usually a case where there are senators that could switch and vote with the other party and they have been under the spotlight? Or is that somewhat of a unique thing to what we've seen in the past couple of decades? No, absolutely. And it used to be that there was a lot more um, there was a lot more shifting in terms of Democrats voting for Republican proposals, Republicans voting for Democrat proposals. Remember, for example, when Bill Clinton got the Budget Discretionary Act of 93 passed, he had six Democrats. Now, one of them was Richard Shelby, but he had six Democrats that actually voted against him on that. Folks like Sam Nunn from Georgia, David Bourne from Oklahoma, when they used to have those conservative Southern Democrats who are basically all but extinct today. Um, and then it actually came down. Remember, he, even though he had, he had six votes to deal with, it actually came down to one vote, and that was Bob Kerry of Nebraska. And Bob Kerry, who had run against Bill Clinton, had a very bitter campaign against Bill Clinton in the 92 Democratic primaries, actually became the one that saved that act, because after some lobbying, and essentially Bob Kerry said, I don't want to be the person that destroyed Bill Clinton's presidency, and Bob Kerry will end up giving him that vote. So you have seen that a lot of that in history. If you go back, by the way, votes like the Civil Rights Act of 64, you had a very interesting alliances on that because you had Lyndon Johnson signed it, but you had Southern Democrats in an alliance with Western Republicans against the legislation, and then you had Northern Democrats um, in an alliance in, a, in an alliance with no very with the kind of liberal Republicans, um, folks like Ed Brooke in Massachusetts, for example. Well, he wasn't there at the time, but that type of a Republican. So you used to have a lot of issues where you where the Democrats had to work with had to work kind of cross party. I think when you, the last one you saw that was when, the last time you really saw a major piece of legislation where a Democrat had to get Republican more Republican votes than there. Then, um, then Democrat votes is probably NAFTA with Bill Clinton in 1993 when he was working with Bob Dole, and he's working with the Republican whip at the time. It was Newt Gingrich of Georgia against the Democratic leadership in the House in terms of the minority leader, uh, Dick Gephardt, and the minority whip, uh, David, ba- David Bonnier, and they got it through. And then you had kind of this weird alliance of you know Republicans and, D- and Bill Clinton working against Democrats and some more um, – some more or less um, economic nationalist Republicans like Jesse Helms in North Carolina. Very interesting alliance. Mm. I'm wondering, too, when it comes to different uh, organizations getting together, giving speeches, things like that, like the CPAC that's going down. Has there just been a rise of big names in political movements that are non-politicians? Is that a new phenomenon, or do you find that's happened a lot throughout the course of politics? Um, and there have been certainly examples in history, and usually they're businessmen, oftentimes they're military people. 
For example, in, 19, in 1952, uh, there was talk that if Robert Taft got the, got the nomination, he would choose Douglas MacArthur as his running mate, someone who had no political experience, but he had military experience. There have certainly been presidents who have come out of that. Zachary Taylor in 1848, certainly Dwight Eisenhower, Ulysses S. Grant. Um, and there certainly have been businessmen that people have looked at and said that they should potentially should be um, should be a major presidential candidate. Lee Iacocca, for example, at one point looked at it. Ross Perot looked at it a couple of times. More at the state level, sometimes you do have people that kind of come out of um, the acting world and certainly the state of California. But he had Ronald Reagan, but Ronald Reagan did have political experience before becoming governor. He was chairman of the Screen Actors Guild. Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2003, although he had worked on some initiatives um, in 2002 when the ballot that got through actually for um, for, for after-school programs. We did have some political experience. The one a lot of people point to is Jesse Ventura, but he didn't come from nowhere. He remember, a lot of people don't realize this, but he was actually mayor of Brooklyn Park, which at the time was the sixth biggest city in the state of Minnesota. So if he was anybody else and he had those credentials, no one would essentially look, um, you know, look, they would not look at him as some sort of an anathema. They would just say a politician running for governor because people immediately, though, associated him with this, with, with, with his um, actions in the ring. So they said this guy came right out of the ring and decided he wanted to become governor, but he actually did have some political experience prior to that. I interviewed him once when he had a conspiracy theory book that came oh, out. Oh, I remember that show, yes. Yeah. It, well, the book, it was. I mean, it had all kinds of stuff in it, and the interview was just as wild yeah. as any of the interviews he's ever given. He's something else, I'll tell you what. Um, not a fan <laughs> of his, but he gives a wild interview. So um, I wanted to challenge you, Rich Rubino, if oh. uh, you don't mind, because we've done sure. this before, but we haven't done it since there is a new person in the White House with Joe Biden. Uh, and maybe it was last year or maybe two years ago, you just impressed everyone by giving every president in order. I'm hoping we can do that again now that we have a new president in the White House. If you can just give every president's name, you don't have to worry about the years they served because that's, you know, we that's fine. If you can just give every president in order from memory from George Washington to now, do you think you can do it? Yes. OK, I'd love you to uh, give it a try. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, James Madison, uh, James Monroe, and then John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, and then after Andrew Jackson was uh, Martin Van Buren, then William Henry Harrison, James K. Polk, and then after, let's see, 45, uh, William Henry Harrison was 40, oh, and then John Tyler came in in 1841, and then in 1845 was James K. Polk, in 1848 would have been, 1849 would have been Zachary Taylor, then he was succeeded by Millard Fillmore, until 1853. I have to do it with the years. And then in 1853, um, in 1853, you had Franklin Pierce. Then James Buchanan came in in 1857. Um, And then after that was Abraham Lincoln, who came in in 1861. He died in 1865. Andrew Johnson succeeded him, left in 1869. Ulysses S. Grant came in and served until 1877. Then um, after him was Rutherford B. Hayes, 1877 to 1881. And then 1881 was James Garfield, then Chester A. Arthur, 1881 to 1885. And then after Chester Arthur was Grover Cleveland, the only one to serve two non-consecutive terms. He was 1885 to 1889, lost to Benjamin Harrison. Then after Benjamin Harrison, came, he came back in 1893, and then he served till 1897. Then William McKinley, 1897 to 1901. And then Theodore Roosevelt succeeded him from 1901 to 1909. William Howard Taft from 1909 to 1913, 
then John Hoogler-Weiser Smith from 1913 to 1923, and then, no, I'll make that up. <laughs> and then Woodrow Wilson from 1913 to 1921, then Warren G. Harding, 1921 to 1923, Calvin Coolidge, 1923 to 1939, and then Herbert Hoover, 1933 to 1945, George H.W. Bush, 89 to 93, Bill Clinton, 93 to 2001, George W. Bush, 2001 to 2009, Barack Obama, 2009 to 2017, Donald Trump, 2017 to 2021, and then Joe Biden, 2021. Nice. Congratulations. You got them all correct. And you almost stumbled there for a second. You missed, who was it, Taylor, Zachary, uh... No, hold on. Oh hold no, I back. oh I, I went for I said because that's why that's when I said I have to do it with the years because I said yeah, William Henry Harrison yeah. I said eighteen forty and then I skipped over um, John Tyler who succeeded him then I went then I was I went to James K. Polk then they said oh but then there was Taylor Tyler right in between right okay so here's another uh, question if you were to take the official presidential portraits who was the last president to have facial hair uh, Benjamin Harrison Benjamin well if I go back and I know. Let's see, Benjamin Harrison. If I go back, Taft had a mustache. Oh, um, facial hair at all. Not, I was thinking a beard. You're right. Oh, yeah. Then uh, good old Teddy Roosevelt had a mustache. And then Grover Cleveland. And then Harrison was the first to have a beard after that. He was the last one to have a beard. That's what I was thinking, not facial hair generally, but you're right. They really need to uh, bring that back in the future. The, the And mutton tops, okay. too. Oh, let's bring the mutton tops. Let's do it all. So if uh, people wanted to find you online, where can they look you up? Uh, you can just go to uh, Facebook and type in Rich and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or go to www.polita-geek.com, or go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L. So when you were a kid and it was time for the school talent show, would you stand up and name all the presidents in order? <laughs> no, I don't think they had a school talent show. But I did used to, um, I did used to have the little figurines, and I used to look at all the figurines, and I do remember looking at all the presidential books and um, going through about each different president. And then I remember um, having cards that would say three or four things about each president. So for some reason, I just got a fascination with them for that reason. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, Rich Rabino, you can find him online, polita-geek.com. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I love our Monday hookups. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Maybe next time we'll do vice presidents. <laughs> if you could do that, that's even more impressive. Oh, wow. You're in the top percentage of people that could even name all the presidents, number one. Now, if you could do vice presidents, you may be the only person right now in America that can do that. Uh, Rich Rabino joins us <laughs> on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Super impressive, as always. This is Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. How impressive was it that Richard Bino can just fly right through all of the presidents in order? I couldn't do that. I should probably learn to do that. That's a good novelty trick. Stand up and name all the presidents in order and make a song out of it would be even better. If I can make it into some sort of catchy little tune that they can play inside the schools, probably get about a million 
hits on YouTube. Just another example of all of the untapped ideas that will never go anywhere that come out of this mind. Wow, we got a lot to get to on the show tonight, including Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher and Young. He's a partner at that firm, and the Supreme Court made a couple of different calls today. One was to uh, President Trump. Apparently, his tax returns could be turned over to a New York prosecutor. The other one is a challenge by Pennsylvania Republicans in the way that the laws were changed or bent so close to uh, the election. And after the election, Justice Thomas had some dissenting comments onto that. And that's a real fascinating one, too. And I'm really interested to think what Brad Young has to say about that. And then later next hour, too. At about 9.30-ish, Ryan Wiggins from our sister station, 97.1, he wrote a book. He wrote a fiction book called The Life of Human. It's about robots and things. And my wife loves books like this. So I said, hey, honey, can you read this for me? And she joins in on the interview to uh, to talk to the author, Ryan Wiggins. And she'll give her uh, honest opinion of the book, which is pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to you, too, next hour. You can always join us online if you want to text the show at... 314-436-7900. It's Overnight America, KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 